Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Pass Radio, America's weekly motorcycle talk show. I got me a date with some of the motocrosses up around the way. Your source for weekly updates on what's happening in the world of motorcycle racing. You know how fast you're going? Industry news, trends, the people involved. I'm Ricky Carmichael. This is Kevin Schwartz. This is Josh Timoth. This is Kelly Smith. This is Travis Latron. This is Jeremy McGrath. And now, Pit Pass Radio. Hello again, everybody. It is Pit Pass Motor Racing Weekly. Scott Casper with you, along with Tony Wink in studio, as always. Uh, Roman Avita, PJ Duran, Ed Camp along the way. Uh, instant news, by the way, coming up next week. Jay Gagne is going to be joining us. He is in country, so uh, we are planning on having Jake join us next week. In this hour, uh, pretty cool hour, really. Uh, Cam Peterson, bottom of the hour. We're going to talk with John Ulrich, guys who, a guy whose opinion I happen to value amongst, well, those that I really, truly respect. John has ulterior motives, and they're the right, right ones, by the way. Safety of riders, recognizing those who do good things. And by the way, if I just hung up on you and your name is Andy, please call back in, okay? I, Jack, I hung up on Andy, okay? And I'm just asking him to call back in. Numbers call in 866-333-5966 or 515-284-5966. Again, I appreciate John's opinion because he doesn't, uh, he doesn't cut any uh, onions or any corners. He just tells it the way it is, and 99.99999% of the time, he's spot on. He joins us now from his offices. John, how are you? Doing good. How about you? Good, man. Thanks. As always, you're always there for us, and uh, I apologize it's taken so long to get you back on. We had Chris on last week, uh, kind of a chip off the old block, if you don't mind me saying so, but uh, legitimately, um, you know, you're one of those guys that has absolutely been making sense and speaking the truth, uh, and you and I had a conversation earlier today, and I want to start there. Um, I asked you a question. When was the golden age of motorcycling for racers, for dealers, for manufacturers, and parts manufacturers. And your response was? Oh, you want me to repeat it now? Well, and maybe you can even shorten it up. It might make good radio. I think never so. know. You never know. <laughs> well, I think I've, I think I've changed my mind a little bit on that. It's like this. It's like this. Can you, can you go outside today and ride your motorcycle? Can you go race your motorcycle? Yes, you can. This is your golden age. That's yeah. it, man. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Live in the now. I like it. Live in but, the now. You know, listen, I run into guys all the time, and they talk about, oh, you know, the golden age was when uh, Agostini was winning all the GPs. Yeah, he was doing it on a four-cylinder. He was racing a bunch of guys on Norton Manx's. All due respect, the guy's a great rider. Uh, he he went on, to, obviously, he, was, he, he rode 500 GP against some really good guys. But, you know, sometimes people talk about the golden age when MV was winning everything. Well, you know, I, I, I beg to differ. I, you know, I go to the races now. And I see a bunch of guys at the front battling. Nobody knows who's going to win, right? I mean, there were guys saying Lorenzo would never win again. And guess what happened? He won. He won twice in three weeks. Right? Yeah, that so has he, seemed rather ironic that uh, no, no, nobody, he found form. One of the things I love about racing is 
you really never know what's going to happen. It's a very, very complicated puzzle, right? So, you know, you got to give respect to anybody who can ride those things the way that the guys run at the front can. And, and But you got to also know that it's very difficult to win. It's very difficult to get everything lined up where the bike's doing what you need it to do and feeling the way you need it to and your head's straight and everything's good. And you go out and you kick ass. And everybody's riding the same tires now, too. Back then, it wasn't that way, right? I mean, think about it. You had had the top three, four guys running spec tires from a manufacturer, and everybody else was riding what they could grab. Well, you know, not exactly, but what you've seen historically, and the reason that we, everybody, just about every series ended up with spec tires was because there would be a series, and there would be a dominant tire manufacturer, and they'd supply really really good tires to a few guys right. and some not quite so good tires to other guys and you know if you if you weren't among the anointed few you couldn't get those tires at any price in any way any circumstance there's no way so when you came off your truck at the start of for the, for the first day of practice you were a second and a half behind and no matter how fast you went you were a second and a half behind and you couldn't get it back so, I mean, you know, guys talk about all the time, oh, yeah, you know, it's too bad it's not open tires, everybody can run everything, yada, yada. I'll tell you what, if you weren't an anointed rider or on an anointed team prior to spec tires, you weren't going to win race, and that's the way it was. I mean, I can remember guys, I can remember Josh Hayes one time, the first time he got a really, really good tire. He was riding an attack superbike, and he talked about it after the race. Man, you know, the tire guy gave me a really good tire, and it was really great. And his results were substantially better than they were before he got that tire. Now, since then, of course, we went to the National Series here in the U.S., went to spec tires, and Josh beat everybody heads up four times, and he's a great rider. But I'm just saying, prior to spec tires, it was very, very difficult. You could have all the talent in the world, and if you didn't have the tire, you were not going to win on that day. And that has they have equalized that across most series, certainly not all of them around the our country and the globe. John, you you have personally been a very fast racer and then a father of a very fast racer. With the retirement of your son, are you are you feeling a hole in the family uh, the family heritage? There uh, is there a is there a next generation of old rich racer on the horizon that you see coming out of uh, one of the backyards that you're probably in? Well, you know, it's like if, if a guy, if a kid wants to race, he's going to race. I mean, I knew Chris wanted to be a racer from age three, okay? But, you know, uh, if, if he was going to be a racer one way or another. It got down to, you know, his, his mother was not real thrilled about the concept of him racing. And, you know, she said flat out, you know, I collected you from the ER enough times that I know what the deal is. So, no, he's not going to be a motorcycle racer, but... What it came down to is, you know, he's going to do it one way or another. He was getting a lot of trouble in school. He was getting in trouble in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I needed a, I needed a really good carrot to get him back under control. And that carrot was a YZR50. And took him racing and told him, hey, you're not going to get any more failing grades. I'm not going to go talk to the vice principal at the school anymore. You know, or if I do, you're not going to get to ride this thing. So if you fly straight, do what you're supposed to do and get some decent grades and behave, we'll race this thing. And we'll do it as long as you keep that end of the bargain. And he did. That sounds very similar story, John, to mine, actually. And truly the only reason, I had my own apartment. I had my own place. And paying my paying the rent with, with 
Suzuki contingency, and the old man comes and takes the motorcycles, and I'm like, wait a minute. It's going to be hard to pay rent if I don't have the rent You said to be an maker. adult, and he's like, you're flunking school. You're not – You're. I'm still your dad. I don't care what happens, and that's – and, yeah, I mean, that's – I think, John, I think a lot of parents don't realize what a – Powerful you, carrot that oh is. Oh, my gosh, it is It is so powerful. Well, and, well, and, sure, but a, a kid's still got to graduate high school. I mean, I know some guys who have gone pretty far in racing and don't even – uh, don't even have high school degrees and sometimes i wonder how they can even function in well society. i i did get a degree thank you very much with d minuses st- straight across well, straight across i saw the i saw the final <laughs> card. well chris went straight up to a b b average and stayed there and I, I didn't have to you know i got a, i got a phone call several months into the project and it was guy calls up and he says he's so-and-so from the school and he wants to tell me that my son christopher is student of the month and i'm looking look at the phone thinking which one of my friends is doing this trip, right? <laughs> there's no way that he turned it around this quickly but in fact he had wow yeah it was inc- it, it was incredible but i guess i'm getting a little bit off the question but you know if, if someone's going to be a racer uh they'll figure out a way to be a racer so one of the grandkids decides he's going to be a racer and figures out what he needs to do to do that and he wants me to help him i'm going to help him. but you know i'm not going to tell some kid he has to be a racer you, you know you can't make somebody who doesn't want to race be a racer and you can't stop somebody who wants to race from, from racing that that's the way it is but they have to decide it's, it's their decision and of course you know in the case of chris's kids or haley's kids uh you know that's they, they've got something to say about that too i got to respect the parental prerogative you know but if but if uh Kid wants to go racing, and the parents are on board. You know, it could happen. John, in your many years involved with racing, whether it be, you know, as a board member with the AMA or being inducted into the Hall of Fame recently, yeah, recently. I mean, and even your racing. What's one of your fondest memories in this whole long storied career that you've had that you like to look back on and say? That was a great time in my in my career. That's a big question. Well, you know, I was surprised when Chris started racing to discover that if your kid does good, it feels better than if you do good. So the first time he won an AMA National, uh, you know, that was a pretty big deal. You know, there were some other kids that I'd helped, though, who did really well. When they started winning stuff, too, it was... It was it was really great also. And, of course, you know, Elena Myers being the only woman to win AMA Pro uh, Road Races, did it twice, once at Sonoma or Sears Point. I think it was then called uh, Infineon or whatever. That track near San Francisco, uh, you know, she won one there, and she won one at Daytona. And she, she did it on my motorcycles. So, you know, that was pretty special because I told my daughters, you know, the whole time they were growing up, hey, you can do anything. Right, you can do anything you want to do. You put your mind to it, uh, and so you know she came along and met her when she was twelve, and she she was pretty serious about racing. She had talent, and when she was sixteen, I put her on a six hundred AMA Pro, and uh, you know she she won a race, and then she won another one. So you know those some different things that I've been involved in like that were you know pretty special. John, let's talk a little bit about your kids. Uh, other than Chris, obviously, we know a lot about Chris. Isn't one of your daughters, and I swear to goodness, I met her 
but I don't remember if it was at Sonoma or VIR, but Tony, do you remember? Haley, we met her, I don't remember where we met her, but we met her, she was, uh, she was all business. Still in the military, wasn't she or something, John? Oh, yeah, she, uh, went, she didn't get into her, you know, the school she wanted to go to, which was UC Berkeley, and she didn't get in because she's blonde and has blue eyes. That's, that's the time when we were having a really big discussion about affirmative action in the state of California, and so she didn't get in there. And her second choice, incredibly enough, was was the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. She went to our congressman and got an appointment. Wow. Got in and uh, graduated 29th out of 934 and spent a summer at Fort Benning, uh, you know, Earning her paratrooper wings and spent another summer, uh, command, uh, you know, learn how to command a tank at, at right. Fort Knox and went to Africa for a summer and did humanitarian stuff and, you know, marksman rated uh, with an M16, whatever they call them now, A4s or something. M4s. M4s, okay. So, anyway, uh, yeah, she, she's a uh, genuine badass and she was <laughs> in the Army for 12 years and then she got out and, uh, you know, got married and has three kids. Wow. So. Now, are there other kids we, we we haven't brought up, John, before we get... I want to talk quite a bit about safety, actually, but are there other kids we're missing here? Well, yeah, there's Natalie. Natalie, okay. Bad Road Racing World, a key part of our, our team. Okay. Really involved, you know, real helpful. When we did the Superbike shootout in 2014, she had a big part to play in that. And there's also older brother, Damien, who uh, was more into skateboards and guitars than racing, which is fine. And uh, you know, he's got he's got a kid who's incredibly enough 20, 20 or twenty one years old now. That's crazy. So, yeah. All right. So you and I were talking. One of the things I know you're very proud of um, these these air baffles, air walls, air fences, air fence. Let me get there. Soft, yes, they're soft barriers. Soft air barriers. The yeah. brand. Yeah. Okay. So soft barriers have been before let's face it if you had a hard corner and you had a any kind of a rail or any kind of a cement barrier that uh didn't just present a challenge to racers it presented a challenge to life um and you had a better idea and others got on board talk to us about where it started and where it's at now and how are we funding and continuing to fund the build out on this well, you know, basically a soft barrier is a pre-inflated airbag. It's got an ambient air chamber. The guy crashes, flies into it, and the air is forced out through valves at a controlled rate and it absorbs energy. Now, think about this. Just demonstrate how good this stuff is. Kyle Wyman uh, was at the Moto America finale at Barber last year, and uh, he's on a super bike, and he goes down the the front straight away, and the brake pad has fallen out. So he puts on the brakes. He has no brakes. He leaves the racetrack, and he's got GPS uh, data on his on his motorcycle, and also in his uh, day and easy suit. So he's, we've got we can look at how fast he was going on his motorcycle. Left the racetrack at 140 miles an hour. Bails wow. out because he knows he's in trouble, and he himself arrives, you know, in the air into a section of air fence at 104 miles an hour. Now, he decelerated from 104 miles an hour to zero in the thickness of an air fence, which is about a little less than four feet, okay? That's amazing. And he, and he, and he you know, he did, he did have some cracked vertebrae, but he walked away from that crash. Now, that you know, that that's the kind of crash that used to be a life changer or ender, flat out. Let alone a career or ender, ender, right? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And that, you know, that was the basic problem. Got, you know, we go to a racetrack and, and there'd be nothing, right? There'd be uh, armco barriers. It'd be dirt embankments. Uh, you know, you'd have to argue to try to get hay bales. Maybe a tire wall. Yeah, tire walls don't do you any favors. Trust no, me. no, they don't. Well, tire walls. How about bales of hay? I mean, that's well, like hey, you know, a hay bale is better than an armco barrier or right. a firewall. But yeah, you know, especially if it's been raining and the thing's soggy, it's not very good. I mean, the basic problem was people were crashing. There wasn't enough runoff room. There weren't gravel traps. Uh, if you tried to talk to somebody about improving the racetrack for safety reasons, the standard answer you got was get off the property and don't come back. But it was a lot less polite. Wow. It was get the f out of here. Yeah. yeah. If you don't like the safety conditions here. Don't don't come back. You know, it's only been about 20 years since a guy run AMA Pro Racing in response to some comments I made about a racetrack to him, talking about a safety issue, said, if you don't like the, the way that racetrack is, don't go and don't send your team. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's the way that's, it was. That's forward-looking, huh? So, so, you know, what we have now is we have a situation where the entire culture has changed. People now expect stuff like air fence. And, you know, what I did was I got tired of hearing about, you know, every excuse in the book and, and having a... You know, guys would, would slam into a concrete wall, and they'd say, well, no one's hit there before. Well, it's not rocket science. You know, even if you drive around a car and look straight out the windshield, you know, anything you can see when you're, you know, that the nose of the thing is pointed at, you can hit if you crash there, right? So if you're going down a straightaway and you look out the windshield and you don't see a concrete wall, okay, maybe you're okay, right? But if, when you start going around a corner and straight ahead of you is a concrete wall, that's something somebody can hit if they crash. It's not rocket science. They could have figured it out. They didn't want to figure it out. So I, you know, I got tired of it, and I just, you know, one day put an editorial on RoadRacingWorld.com, and I said, "Hey, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to buy a section of these. This time they're like twenty nine hundred bucks. Okay, I bought a section. Who's with me? Let's buy some." And you know, we raised a hundred thousand bucks almost instantly. Wow! And you know, the, the the guys running the racing series put out a press release saying it takes four months to get it. We can't get it before the end of the season. Oh, by the way, we have a plan. Well, we had twenty sections deployed five weeks after we started, not four months. And we had an additional 15 deployed two weeks after that. And the rest is history. And, you know, the, the, the reaction was so instantaneous and so forceful that, that even the guys running the, the series at that time uh, had to, you know, they had to do it. And after, you know, I subsequently I ran for the AMA board of directors uh, and because I, I couldn't get them to talk to me about safety or anything else. And once I got in there, I started looking at all the minutes and, you know, there, there, were, there was no, they had no plan. But saying, oh, yeah, we have a plan for acquiring air fence. They had no plan. They, they hadn't even discussed it. That was crazy. Well, we're starting to so, see them in MotoGP. Saxon in Germany is very uh, tight track as well. We saw uh, Espargaro hit one of those fences this last weekend and walk away. So let's go back to PJ. PJ, you're on top of this as well. Absolutely. The the Air Fence Fund, thank you, first of all, John, for being the pioneer that, that you have been in it. It's And it continues to grow, it would seem, yeah. at, at, a, at a personal level. You know, if you hang out at racetracks often enough, if you race with any racing series, myself, I raced with Wera, it's, it's what guys talk about. How can we, you know, if you make a friendly wager... Loser pays a hundred bucks to the air fence fund. You know th these are things that are now done commonplace, which I think can only help that that culture of let let's make it a better, safer place for everybody who's doing this. Well, sure, and we've raised over two million dollars since we started this thing, and we've gotten air fence deployed all over the place. And we had to start somewhere, so we started with AMA Pro Racing, and then we 
you know, we also sent some sections to, to ASRA CCS, and we've worked with various racetracks. And we started working with, with uh, track day organizations like PRE and N2. And, uh, you know, there's some racetracks that are just about covered up in, 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 uh, with soft barriers now. It's made a huge difference. And I, you know, I run into people, and they, they tell me, you know, they tell me their story. You know, it's, it's encouraging. You talk, yeah, you talk about a high point. You know, high point is guy. You know, knowing knowing Wyman ahead of time, that was pretty great. Right. You know, knowing meeting somebody that I've never met before and they're thanking you for saving their life. That's yeah. a pretty good high point. And it is so much better than the way it used to be. It never made any sense to me whatsoever, you know, that racetracks should oppose something that'll help them not kill off their customers or the stars of the show. It didn't Amen. make any sense. Amen. And, and John you know it. It, now, now it, 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 it's come around. You know, the tracks, the tracks cooperate. The sanctioning bodies cooperate. The, the track day organizations and clubs have fundraisers. And this thing is a nonprofit. It's not a nonprofit like the ones that hire highly paid executives. Nobody's getting paid to do this. This is a volunteer deal. Okay, the money is used to, to buy, deploy, repair air fence or Alpina uh, soft barriers. We use we use both of them, but it, it's. It's a greater good deal. It's made a difference, and it's it's a good thing. You know? It is it's absolutely really, really good thing. Absolutely is, and and if you again, if you hang out at a racetrack long enough, you're going to meet or be someone who's who's had your life impacted positively by them. I see them at a flat tracks as well. John, is there any? Is, do they do their own entirely their own uh, situation, or are we? Uh, do you cross over? Do, does the Air Fence Fund cross over into other oh, yeah, uh, yeah. venues? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, you know we, we've got you know we work with uh, American Flat Track and um, you know provided a lot of air fence over the years for them to deploy at, at their particular events. So, so, so it's yeah, about saving it's lives. It's not about disciplines. And and we're talking with John Ulrich, one of the leaders in our sport. Uh, no matter what you ride, and I do want to bring this up, John. Um, there is a uh, an opportunity, obviously, that uh, uh, we often miss, and that is to recognize good people for doing good things. Were you surprised when you were nominated uh, and and voted into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, that was a hell freezes over moment for me, you know, because I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was looking back at the, I told my kids, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, maybe more. Yeah, maybe it's been longer than that. But I told, you know, they were talking one day about Hall of Fame. I told them, don't hold your breath. I'm never getting in, ever. <laughs> Not going to happen. You believe that was just because of the, the ruckus and stink you had made with uh, <laughs> certain of the AMA uh, uh, elite, if you will, over the years? Well, yeah, but I have to say the guys that are running the organization now are a lot better than the guys that I that I had problems with. But, you know, my... I mean, think about it, right? They they had an advisory board, the guys who used to run the series. I'm not talking about Moto America. Moto America is awesome. The guys running Moto America are awesome. I mean, the, the series president is Wayne Rainey. Right. They, they get it, okay? The, the series has never been better run. It's never been fairer. The rules enforcement has never been more objective. It, it's it's the greatest thing ever, okay? But but I've been I've been involved in racing a, lot, a long time before Moto America came, came away, and it used to be really, really bad. And, and so they had an advisory board and they had a, a printed thing that said you could be on this advisory board if you were a racer, a team owner, a journalist, and several other things. And I was like everything on the list and I couldn't <laughs> get in. You know? And so I couldn't even get a seat at the table. Right. So wow. being a guy who's not going to accept, no, you can't do that, 
you know, I, I figured out a way to do it. They, you know, they had an AMA Pro board, and then they also had a main board that would supervise that. So I found out you could get elected to the main board and ran for the board and beat the incumbent from my area 8-1 to one and, you know, got on the board and, you know, started making stuff happen. Made a difference. Was, so, and with was, that... Was it always... It wasn't always pretty. With, with that, John, and with time remaining, uh, DMG versus Moto America. Obviously, you weren't happy with the way things were with DMG, and uh, you, you started to uh, make some changes by offering up differences. In other words, you put your money where your mouth was, got some guys behind you, and you put together a small series. Um, and it really caused the formation of what we know as Moto America today. Um, are you happy? Obviously, some of the things you've said would lead me to believe that you are, but are there things that Moto Americans ca- can still improve on? And if there is, what are those things? Uh, look, I think they're doing a great job. I don't agree with every rule that they make or every concept that they've got, I don't, but I don't need to win every argument as long as I get to talk. Okay, If I get to present my point of view and it doesn't prevail, that's okay. But the main thing, the main thing is, you have to understand, is that the officiating that we had prior to Moto America was absolutely politicized and corrupt. It was atrocious. I go in great detail about it, but it, I'll tell you, they, the officiating they had and the people they had running that series at different points, the most unfair, biased, politicized, bunch of BS ever, hmm. okay? Okay. And Moto America doesn't have any of that. And on top of that, those guys used to argue about air fence placement. Chris would say something to him about, hey, we need one more section here. And they'd say, oh, no, we don't. No one will hit that. Then he crashes a super bike and he hits that. You know, it was like that, right? It was nonstop across the board. So the Moto America guys come along and they don't have, you don't have any arguments like that. They enforce the rules the same for everybody. The officiating is fair. It's it's night and day. It's, it's the last one of the last races I went to that was run by DMG. I was standing on the, on the tailgate of my semi truck, looking out of the paddock, wondering why am I here? Right. It was that bad. It was, and that was the weekend in which they, uh, you know, kept put guys out on slicks. Uh, uh, you know, started to rain and they kept guys out on slicks because it, it rained earlier and then it dried out. And it, you know. They said, oh, te- technically it's up to them. And there were guys crashing. Was, the guys who made the podium that weekend on the podium looked like somebody had shot their dog, you know, <laughs> because they realized that those guys didn't care where they lived or died. So crazy. the people running, I can't say enough about Moto America. And, you know, people talk about, well, it's not like the old days, whatever. Hey, go to a race. Check it out, man. It's a lot better than you may think. It, it, it's the best it's ever been. The TV package is the best it's ever been. Amen. The officiating is the best it's ever been. It's the and the racing is incredibly good. I mean, from sure. top to bottom, there is so much talent in the series right now. But shouldn't that follow? I mean, the logic says that if you do things the right way, quality racing follows. Well, and I, and I think it having a lot of former racers within that organization definitely helps. There's a reason Tony Wink is no longer involved in that type of racing. Uh, and I'm sorry, Tony, was I mentioning you? Um, hey, wait a minute, I'm, what? Te- I'm teasing, I'm teasing. John, it's always great to talk to you, and one of the things we like to do is we let you roll, dude, because you bring up great and salient points. You speak honestly from the heart. You've been there, done that. You've been at the forefront of telling the story for all these many years. We thank you for your honesty and the time you spend with us. I hope we can do it again soon. Well, great. Let me put in a, a quick plug. Do it. Road Racing World Magazine and RoadRacingWorld.com subsidize that Road Racing World Action Fund. Oh, so, okay. On a daily basis. So I got to pay my employees to open the mail and et cetera, et cetera. So subscribe. It's 
a great magazine. Check out the website. It's a great website. And we're dedicated to doing good stuff. Well, let's do this. When and we get our support new, the best racers. When we get our new website up uh, and running here in the coming weeks, uh, let's see if we can get a link up to that for you, John, because we support you guys and your efforts as well. That'd be great. God bless Thank you, buddy. You very much. Best to your whole right. family, man. Thank you so much. That is absolutely one of the best guys in our sport. I don't know that there's an ulterior motive at all, and I've not, and I've talked to him for years. Um, yeah, there's an ulterior motive. What? Racer safety. Racer and safety. Good racing. And good racing. End of story. There's there's nothing secret about this guy. It's right there. Nope, he's all about the racer and keeping them safe and, and providing a great racing environment and entertainment for us that are watching it. And it's all under the straw hat. We'll tell you what, when we come back, we've got another guest waiting in the wings. And I, Tony, I know, Tony, you're going to be interested to talk to Cam Peterson. Made his debut on the Genuine Broaster Chicken Honda team at Sonoma. We'll talk to him about that and more. You're listening to Pit Pass, brought to you by Fly Racing, flyracing.com. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast 